words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Oh dear. Thanks, Don. Alrighty, now, let me ask you, if you were to think of five different ways you have searched for meaning, just now, in your head, what would you come up with? In your life, over your lifespan, whatever it is, what are the different ways you've tried to search for meaning over the years? Can you come up with five? What would they be, I wonder? I can think of quite a few. In my teenage years, it was, in summer, it was all about winning cricket in the morning and then beating Dad at golf in the afternoon. That was my, that was it, as a teenager. I bet none of us would have the exact same saying, five. If we did, that would be extraordinary. We'll have many different ways that we've kind of tried to find meaning. What if you put all your eggs in the one basket? Sometimes that's what people do. They have, can't find any meaning for whatever it is, they determine this is it. And everything depends upon that. What happened? What happens if that gets taken away? It's a bitter pill. It's not surprising that you see sportsman after sportsman after they retire fall in a heap. Because to be the great sportsman they are, often everything they find, their whole identity, their purpose, their meaning in life is in succeeding in the sport they play and then it's over, what have they got? Nothing. Michael Clark, when he retired, said everything in his life was consumed by hitting a cricket ball. It's a bit odd, especially if 
you're not a sports fan, that really seems bizarre, right? <laughs> Even if you're a sports fan, that still seems bizarre when you break it down like that, I reckon. So what we're going to do this summer is consider meaning. So actually we're getting to the very heart of your existence. You can't go anywhere else other than purpose. And we're going to consider that. You know, for some, it's once I, once I have this relationship or this child, that is where all my purpose is found, in them succeeding. If the child doesn't succeed, or even like beyond tragically they die young, purpose is completely lost. Where do we find meaning? If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you over this summer holidays, this January, to realign your purpose. And you're not going to be surprised that it ends with Jesus, but we're going to try and see it with more clarity. We're going to see it with how we get there. We're going to see why through the great book of Ecclesiastes. If you're wrestling with what life's all about, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wrestling with it all, I'd really encourage you to think about does this Christianity thing, this God thing, really give meaning? And have a good crack at investigating it before you make your uh, decisions up, your mind up. You see, what philosophy, what philosophy can we look at? You can do the Lego movie philosophy, everything is awesome. Just, it's all good. See, the Aussie way of saying it isn't everything is awesome and getting a song stuck in your head that you can never get out of year after year. We kind of say everything's no worries. It's all good. Do you say, oh, it's all good? I sometimes do. It's not all good. Don't worry about it. Actually, I have a fair bit to worry about. As soon as we consider for a moment this way of thinking, it kind of just unravels before our eyes. And so, we're going to have a crack at finding uh, meaning in the philosophy, in the ideas of Ecclesiastes. Now, what I want us to do is to get a kind of a broad brush picture of it today. If you've got the Bible open in front of you, that'll be helpful as we just stay in Ecclesiastes but kind of go in, in a few different places. And I want us to see, as you can see in the outline, first of all, who is speaking and what are they trying to achieve? See, who is speaking? Well, in Ecclesiastes, the main voice in the book is the teacher, as we kind of initially saw with the kids. He is the one who kind of looks at the world and makes all these kind of opinions on it. You could actually describe him as a critic. He looks at everything and he goes, nah, that's a problem, that's a problem. That seemed to be good, but no, but that's a problem. He's a critic. And he's the main voice in all of the book. But he's not the author. The author He's the one who brings all of the critic's ideas together, introduces him, sends him on his way to make all these ideas and and thoughts about the world and then he comes along at the end and gives kind of a summary and reflection after everything that the critic has said. 
That's how this, how this book works. Now, who is the author? There's lots of debate on that, actually. And uh, traditionally, some say it's Solomon, but oh, there's probably problems with that too. And we're not... I don't think we can definitely be certain who it is, but the ideas, though, is kind of in that, I, that world of wisdom that Solomon was a part of in which uh, the persona of Solomon's taken on board. That's why it's often thought to be Solomon. Regardless, that actually doesn't matter. What matters is to see there is an author who is uh, setting out the agenda, presenting all these ideas of this critic, and then he makes a summary of them all. That's what this book is doing. And so, what is the author's basic goal? Well, as we uh, get into looking at, at a few verses in just a moment, his basic goal is to deconstruct all the different ways we find meaning and purpose in life. So this book kind of does get pretty deep and pretty dark. You can't avoid it. He looks at life and he says, no, your thinking to have purpose in that is not good. You tried that way, it's not good. Any way apart from God, the critic says, doesn't work. Whether it be pursuing wealth, whether it be pursuing power, pleasure, anything that you can come up with, it doesn't seem to work. It's like you put on these building blocks of what you think life's about. And my building blocks is, say, friendship. And the critic comes along and just knocks them all over and says, no, there's no meaning to that. And he shows why. You think the purpose, the purpose to life is being successful in your career and you put up all your blocks of career and the critic comes along and smashes them into tatters. That's kind of the basic goal of the book. Now, I want to I show us that instead of just me telling you. I want you to see, see glimpses of that in the passage because what we're going to do over the next three weeks after this week, we're going to focus in and think in depth on three of the big ideas that uh, he uh, points out. And so I want to show us these three big ideas now. You see, what he does is he looks under the sun. That's a phrase that he says all the time, I look under the sun, that is everything that's happening, and this is what I saw. Like in chapter 2, verse 11, we read, um, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Everything that was done, everything I tried to do, just kind of feels, well, meaningless. And we'll get to meaningless in a moment. You see, the first idea that I want to suggest his goal is to kind of pull apart is the problem of time, the march of time or the tyranny of time. And next week we're going to spend our whole time thinking about that. Have a look at chapter uh, 1 verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Or verse 11, there is no remembrance of men of old and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. As great a story as that was that Don told us, it will be forgotten at some point. 
Time moves on. Generations come and go. We are a brief moment. We want to be significant, and yet, the cosmic scale of things, how many generations have come, how many generations have gone, and we don't remember them. Some get remembered in a stature in a moment, but they'll be forgotten eventually. And that's the rare ones. The time moves on and we're forgotten. That kind of really pulls at our feeling of purpose in life. That everything kind of goes on. We want to be significant and yet, when we think about it from the big picture... We are very insignificant. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. There is no remembrance of men of old, and yet even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. History is littered of power-hungry people who want to be remembered. But there are many power-hungry people we do not know. The march and tyranny of time. There's another one that we'll look at in two, in two weeks' time. And this one is really interesting because it kind of is a challenge to us. But it helps us realise one of the big questions that, well, we did with the kids and, and we always kind of talk about life's unfair. You see, the second aspect of life which the critic kind of brings out is that there's a random aspect to life. It's kind of the glitch to the system that if you do good, everything will work out well. Proverbs talks about, if you've ever read Proverbs, it's kind of the book in, you do what God wants and good results. And it's a good way to live, it's the way to live. But Ecclesiastes is like a friend of Proverbs and points out, that doesn't always work. There's a glitch. Life's random. There are random moments where two people with the same things have very different outcomes. Let's get a glimpse of that in chapter 9, verse 11. If you flick over to chapter 9. The critic says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. There is a randomness to life that we can't avoid. Now, we're not saying it's a randomness from God that He's not in control of. We're looking at, as we look at the world and we see what's going on, some people get food and others don't. And there's no rhyme or reason to it particularly. There is not a clear correlation to you, you do all this and this will definitely happen. pushes us into thinking, well, life's unfair. You know those moments when you say life's unfair? It's because it feels so kind of unattainable. 
It's random. You don't know what's going to happen. Do you really know what's, what's going to happen when you walk out the, the door today? We all drive away. We're all going to drive out the same uh, gate. But we don't necessarily are going to have the same outcome. There is a glitch to the system in a couple of weeks' time. We'll really think that through a bit more. Because these really pull at the idea of meaningful life. As we search for it, we can't avoid time and we can't avoid seeing how things don't always work out exactly right and there seems to be this chance, random aspect to life. And here's the third one. The third one is the big one. It's all through Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7, verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Death is the great equaliser. Death is certain. Death brings us pain, heartache and grief. Does it not? And it attacks our search for meaning at the core. Because whatever you look for meaning in, in this world, death finally catches up with us. I said to you that uh, Ecclesiastes takes us to deep, dark places. It's good for us to do that. It's good for us to remember there is this great equaliser. That whether you're wise, that whether you're foolish, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you will die. There is death. Everything that the critic kind of looks at under the sun, as he looks at trying to work hard, as he toils, as he seeks wealth, as he seeks pleasure and he goes for pleasure in completely full-on immoral ways. He goes for it all. He does everything he possibly can. These three things attack any sense of ultimate meaning and purpose in life. And so, what I haven't done yet is point to the overarching theme of the book that we kind of brought up with the kids. You see, uh, to do that, we need to realise that Ecclesiastes is a sandwich. Who likes a nice sandwich? Yeah, yeah, sandwich straight up, Daniel, exactly right. A great sandwich or a great hamburger. Ecclesiastes is like that. What do I mean by that is? What happens, what do you have in a sandwich or a burger? Not a rhetorical question, what do you have? You have meat, or, and what's that other stuff you put in? Nothing. 
<laughs> Nothing. Excellent. Uh, oh, an egg. An egg would work. Yeah, an egg would work. But <laughs> sauce and the salady stuff, right? You put all the other stuff in the middle and then you hold it together with the bread. Okay? Ecclesiastes it works like that. And then throughout it, to remind us that the bread is on the outside holding it all together, he mentions the bread 38 times. You see, what's holding it together, the bread, you know, the proper way of saying it instead of a sandwich is called an inclusio, right? It's this, this outer layer on the top and the bottom is that life is meaningless. See, in chapter 1, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Seriously, this guy is negative. <laughs> this critic. And if we flip all the way to the end, almost all to the way to the end, chapter 12, of verse 8, there he goes again. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. His last words as the critic before the author comes back, meaningless. That's a pretty big thing to say. Like, come on, life's, there's good, there's good to life and it's pretty, it's pretty full on, but he's pointing out that time and this kind of random aspect of life that we can't, it just doesn't all work out the way the Proverbs kind of points to and the, the certainty of death, everything seems meaningless. But the problem is, for us, is we probably need to nuance that a little bit because the word meaningless isn't exactly, I don't think, spot-on helpful. The, the, the Hebrew word, that you know, the Ecclesiastes was written in Hebrew, the word is hevel. I don't know how to pronounce it, but H-E-V-E-L, just saying it phonetically, hevel. Right? Hevel, that word is kind of smoke, vapour or mist. Hevel, he's saying, hevel, everything is hevel. See, what he's saying is, is that this smoke and vapour, which kind of, smoke's kind of amazing. It's beautiful, it changes shape, and then just like that, it disappears. You feel like you've got, you can see it in front of you, but what happens if you go to grab smoke? It, you can't. It disappears in front of you. And then, when you're consumed by it in a bushfire, it's just overwhelmingly choking and you can't see when you're all in it. Hevel. See, it's not exactly that life is meaningless. It's kind of what we're pointing out with the kids. It's not that it's exactly meaningless. It's more that life's an enigma. It's more that life kind of is hard to grab hold of, that the meaning is hard to find. I can't find it anywhere. I've looked in all these different things. I've, I've looked for, in my work and I've found, well, the people after me are going to take away my work. I've looked in all my pleasure and then yet I don't really still find any ultimate pleasure and, and I know I'm going to die and so I can't grasp onto it. Where is the meaning? It's an enigma. He says that idea 38 times throughout it. He brackets it as a sandwich. This is my point. This is the theme of life. It's an enigma. Do you think you can relate to life like that a bit? I certainly can. 
And the critic, he kind of looks under the sun and things just seem strange. Why does that happen to me and not to someone else? I'm no different to that person. What is it that you search for meaning in life? It's not ultimate meaning, is it? We can convince ourselves it is. We can say everything is awesome. But it's not quite. It doesn't seem right. It isn't even enough. Now, there's lots more to be said next week. As we've got a, a guest speaker next week, and as we look at time, point out, actually, just because life is an enigma and there's all this to it, there is life to be enjoyed. Throughout it all, there is still the point that you can enjoy life. But as we're searching for meaning, we need to go beyond. Now, let me ask you, if you go out for a great burger or a great sandwich, what should accompany it? The best bit. Yeah. Chips. The best bit. That's right. The best bit next to the sandwich are the chips. All right? Ecclesiastes doesn't just end with the inclusio, with the sandwich. There are the chips. The good bit. All right? The author comes back, and I want to give away the ending for the whole book today because I want you to ponder and reflect over the series. And the chips, the best bit, those crunchy little morsels come at the end. Have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 9 to 14. It's still a little bit perplexing, and if it's the first time you've heard it, you may be going, hmm, that's good. I think it's supposed to be. Let's hear how the author summarises what the critic's been saying and how he thinks we need to move into life. Where do we find meaning? Well, let's, let's have a go. Verse 9 to 14. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end and much study wearies the body. Here it is, verse 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Here we have it. He says... There is a way through the mist, through the heaven. He looks at it all, and you know what's really interesting about it? And we'll, we'll, we'll do this uh, next week. He goes back to, Ecclesia, uh, to our Proverbs. Main idea of Proverbs, fear the Lord. Even though life has its enigma, and you say everything works out well, in the end... You still need to come back to fear the Lord and follow His ways. Keep His commandments. Follow God's ways. That is what wisdom is. 
This is the whole duty. Your whole purpose. That, that, that little line there in verse 13 is really significant because it doesn't say this is a good idea for a time. This is the whole purpose of life. The whole purpose of life has to relate to God, fearing God, keeping His ways. Why? Because while everything seems an enigma now, and while to us things seem like there's this chance, while to us there seems that time is, uh, marches on past us and death keeps on encroaching, God will fix everything up. There will be justice, things will be worked out and everything will be dealt with rightly by the great God. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. God sees a way through the heaven. We live in the meantime knowing that God is one who we follow. See, fearing God is not like how the world, the Western world at the moment, fears terror. Cowering in this fear that we can't control. It's a fearing a God who has judgment, all authority and all power and yet wants us to have a relationship with Him. There is this honour and respect and this rightful, He has the power to wipe me out straight away at the same time. That is God. It's not a cowering fear, it's a genuine acknowledging who God is. Right fear. It's real wisdom to see that God is the one who is in control of all things. We're going to get to it over this, over this series. And if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll see it come through and through. I reckon Ecclesiastes is a genius book for those of us who particularly struggle with being a control freak or you have those controlling tendencies. It's a genius book for that because it points out to you, you can't. It's really helpful as we read through it. God is the one in control. You follow His ways, fear Him. Stop trying to control everything. You can't. It's also a genius book for those of us who struggle with, battle with, maybe have moments of anxiety. Whether it be the really hard kind of clinical, you know, diagnosable anxiety or just you're kind of an anxious type of person, Ecclesiastes confronts you with, there's no point to being anxious because you're not in control, God's in control. Fear Him, follow His ways and let your anxieties go. It's genius for that. And we'll see that more and more as we, as we open up uh, Ecclesiastes. See, the purpose of life is to be in relationship with God. The more you do that, the clearer the hevel uh, becomes. You see, when the hevel is cleared, 
what we actually get to realize is that the God who wants us to follow him comes with a gift. You see, we're not stuck in the world of the teacher, of the critic. We're not stuck just thinking there's no point to life because God, to where to fear and follow, says, I want to give you a gift that clears up the hevel. I want to give you something that means you can have a relationship with me that will make sense of the world even when it doesn't make sense. If we're going to have meaning and purpose in life, we need to confront those times when we search for it in the wrong places. We need to be reminded that time does go on, that we don't control the way things work out, that death is looming, is crouching at the door from the moment we're born. But God wants us to be in relationship with Him, to follow His ways. See, maybe this year, your best Christmas present doesn't come to you on Christmas Day. Maybe your best gift comes to you on New Year's Day. Because God wants to give you a gift to help you see through the enigma of life. So one verse that I put up on the screen in Ephesians, if you can just flick to that, Georgie, thank you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Just leave it there, that's fine. It is the gift of God. You see, we can get stuck in trying to have purpose in life or we can see that God is saying there's something bigger and it's mine to give you. It's a gift life with him when he when the whole purpose of life is to follow God's commands it's not to earn favor with him it's because God wants us to have a relationship with him that he gives us through Jesus on the cross Ecclesiastes is paving the way to see stop trying to find things now and turn to me and every year at the end of the year and the beginning of the year this Christmas New Year period we come to Jesus in a manger and we say, here's what life's about. Because he goes to the cross and he gives himself so you can see through the heaven. Don't let 2017 be a year when you live in the smoke. Make it a year where you live with the gift of God, wanting to follow His ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Ecclesiastes is a, a cracking book. Thank you for your revelation of life and who you are and meaning that is found in it. We have only just lightly scratched the surface of this book. 
And in doing so, we're, we've just been reminded of life cannot be found in the things here. Remind us of that in times when we search for meaning in things of this world and forget you. Help us over the next few weeks to consider the teacher's words and constantly in the back of our mind have the idea of fearing the Lord and keeping your commandments in our mind. Father, we we do pray that you'll help us to find true meaning and purpose this year. Thank you that we can because of Jesus. Amen.